Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden. We are continuing the defensive part of our position review series today, talking about the edge defenders for Atlanta's defense. And as I mentioned in the interior defensive line episode of this series, which you guys can go check out if you have not already, uh, this group is going to, I expect, change a little bit. Um, Not necessarily in terms of personnel, but certainly how they could be deployed as the Falcons transition back to a little bit more of a 3-4 base look under new defensive coordinator Jimmy Lake, who comes over here with Raheem Morris. And as I've said many times, I expect them to bring a little bit more of that Vic Fangio defensive style that they ran over in L.A. But they have said they want to be physical, aggressive, fast, all of that good stuff. So you know, I I think that some of those players are in place if you're talking about a one-gap type of four-man front where you do want to get upfield and penetrate and be that type of attacking defensive line. However, there is also the aspect in the Fangio defense of almost using your guys to defend the run, the the players themselves, and scheming to take up or take away the pass for the other team. And so that requires kind of the right complement of guys. You know, these players up front who, yeah, can rush the passer and and get after the quarterback, but they can also almost play not a true two-gap style, but a gap and a half and keep an eye on defending the run and just making sure that you don't allow these leaky plays to force teams into these longer passing situations, which ultimately then play to your defense's advantage. So that was a long preamble to ultimately say that we're going to be talking about a group of guys that I like, that are interesting, But again, I I do expect some things could change over these coming months. So get ready to hear a little bit more about Lorenzo Carter, Calais Campbell, that whole group, what they did this past year, what I expect them to do in the future. All of that is going to be coming up. But first, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting, contests, and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or mobile devices. Head to BetOnline today to become part of the team and remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline. The game starts here. We've got a great new sponsor that I am excited to tell y'all about. I love betting my friends and betting them on anything, whether that's sports games or... Yeah, I remember one time we were down at the Varsity here in Atlanta. A couple of buddies, one bet another that, you know, they wouldn't ingest uh, the seasoning salts that go on the french fries down there at the Varsity through, we'll just say the nasal passage. And it was enjoyed by all except for the person that actually had to do the bet. So if you're like me and you like betting on anything and everything, then let me tell you about Cut. The Cut app is a peer-to-peer social betting platform that's legal in over 40 states. Cut has customizable odds, tracking capabilities, and an entire social network with group chats, user profiles, and rewards. I feel like that is really what sets it apart. 
And with all your payments, there is no need for Venmo. So whether you want to bet your friends on the next game or who can down the most hot wings, head over to Cut. And be sure to use our promo code BELIEVEFALCONS, that's B-L-E-A-V, FALCONS, for a 10% welcome deposit bonus. Don't forget that promo code one more time. It is Believe Falcons, B-L-E-A-V, Falcons, to get that deposit bonus. Cut. Put your money where your mouth is. So we're going to start with Calais Campbell, who was the headliner for the edge defender position for Atlanta in 2023. He played all 17 games, which is just staggering considering, you know, he's 37 years old. That's I mean, that is a tall task for any position, let alone a defensive lineman on the edge who is asked to rush the passer, set the edge, do all of the stuff in the trenches that they have to do. Calais Campbell is an ageless wonder. I'm just thrilled, honestly, that we all got to see him up close for at least one season, maybe more. Hopefully, you know, he was here on a one-year deal. The coach uh, that he came for, the head coach, is gone, so that could always impact things, but... In 17 games, Clays Campbell had 56 tackles, 10 tackles for a loss, six and a half sacks, 42 pressures, one forced fumble, one fumble recovery, one safety, and he finished with an 80 PFF grade, which was 26th among edge defenders, uh, which 26th doesn't sound that high when you consider that like the best edge players, TJ Watt, right, Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons, these are like the best players in the NFL that we're talking about. So some positions you may see like an 83 overall grade be the third best uh, at a position for PFF. Not necessarily the case for edge just because there are so many good players and it is a high focus position for a lot of people. Everybody's watching edge players. So you're going to get a little more attention. The grades are maybe going to be a little bit higher there across the board for PFF than some of the others. Right. Um, so 80 is still very good, again, for somebody his age uh, in a new team environment, uh, new, not necessarily a new scheme, but you get my point. Uh, so Calais Campbell, as a newcomer, was both in the locker room and on the field, just an A-plus signing. Uh, it is it, The only downside is that it was here for one year, maybe a one-year rental that didn't pan out. But again... If the Falcons have an inside track to reacquire his services, I do think they should do that. And I'm excited to see if they do. So we look at Bud Dupree, another newcomer. He played 16 games, 39 tackles, eight tackles for a loss, six and a half sacks. So matching Calais Campbell there. Great job, you guys. 38 pressures, two forced fumbles, only a 56 grade from PFF. I, you know, I get because there were some plays where you watch Bud Dupree playing and play out and and there wasn't an impact from him there but i don't know i just kind of feel like by and large among the front seven defenders for atlanta bud dupree was kind of coming up with plays more often than not and yeah i know a lot of people have some issue with the plays that he didn't make because he was in position a lot to make some of these sacks and maybe he slipped right by the quarterback or he got a hand on him but he just couldn't bring him down there were a few of those instances but i would rather have guys who are just getting near the quarterback and I'll worry about the finishing, right? But the Falcons for so long haven't even been able to get to the quarterback or get that pressure really heating up. So this is a step in the right direction, even if you can quibble with, sure, Bud Dupree wasn't a perfect 10 for 10 in chances to get the quarterback down. That's life as a pass rusher in the NFL. But I think Bud Dupree was a great addition this past season. Um, who knows what the future holds for him, but he was 
awesome in 2023. Lorenzo Carter, 17 games, 35 tackles, six tackles for a loss, three sacks, 21 pressures, one forced fumble, two fumble recoveries, and a 67 PFF grade. Lorenzo Carter is, is another player I actually think he could do really well in this kind of new scheme that they're bringing over with Raheem Morris, with uh, Jimmy Lake. And he's somebody who was better in run defense than I kind of thought he would be, but he's a little bit different than the way Abad Dupree or Calais Campbell goes about it because he is a little bit more finesse. But now that he's adding some of the veteran savvy that he's gained just throughout his career, it's made a really interesting kind of combo. And there was one play on blanking on who the uh, the team was specifically where he basically okey-doked a tight end and kind of went outside and then the tight end set up and he just cut right back inside, went right upfield and made a tackle against the run for like a two-yard loss. And that's usually a little bit of a pass rusher move that you would see, right? He's not engaging and then shocking and then turning the ball back inside. It was a little bit of unsound football. But in that moment, you feel as though if you're a veteran, maybe you've got that right to freelance a little bit, maybe... He's done that move effectively. So the coaching staff was like, okay, if you can do it, we we trust that you've got it. When you do it, though, you have to you have to get the guy down. You have to make the play. He did on that play. So I'm just sharing with you some observations that I gained throughout the season, just watching him there in person. I like what Lorenzo Carter brings. Is he going to be your number one pass rusher? No, not by a long shot. But could he be a very serviceable part of a rotation? Yes. And if we're talking playoffs, if we're talking Super Bowl aspirations, it's not just about getting the big names. You're number three on the depth chart. Better be able to contribute something as well. And that is what Lorenzo Carter is to me. Not necessarily your third guy on the depth chart. Like maybe he has the upside to be a solid number two. But it's the depth that is just as important as the, the big name headliner. And that is where I think Lorenzo Carter is perfect in that role for Atlanta is kind of your, your third pass rusher who can bring juice when he needs to. Arnold Ebicady, could he maybe grow into that second pass rusher? Time will tell. He played 17 games, 25 tackles, three tackles for a loss, six sacks, 28 pressures, two forced fumbles, 61.4 PFF grade. If you guys remember back to last season, Arnold Ebicady was kind of almost like the closer for Atlanta. It would not be a shock at all to look at the box score after a game and just see like, one pressure from Arnold Evacati, one sack, and like maybe one tackle. Like he he was the weirdest little enigma because it's almost like he was truly a specialized role player for the Falcons, but he did that role pretty well. If he was only on the field to go get sacks in a limited number of opportunities, and he got six sacks. Like that's a good mark for a young ascending player in kind of his second year who you're hoping can take a, a next jump. But if if you're here to get, or if he is here to get pressure on the quarterback, at least he was able to do that. You know, um, 28 pressures, that's more than Lorenzo Carter had. Not as much as Bud Dupree, but again, he's only in his second year. And so you're hoping that this was, even though it wasn't like a 12 sack breakout season, because the role was kind of reduced, maybe if you can extrapolate that out, and that's always the big risk with projection, is just because your workload increases. Does that mean that your production level is going to stay the same? Not necessarily, but this was a step in the right direction for Arnold Ebicady. Um, And 
even better was that propensity to close out the game, which is in and of itself a unique skill set for pass rushers. And if you can find one who can get production and has that kind of killer closer instinct, man, that is awesome. So Arnold Ebicady, Lorenzo Carter, those guys are going to be sticking around. I'm really curious to see the role that they ultimately settle into because Arnold Ebicady, you could tell me that he's the player that makes that kind of big jump in terms of both on-field snaps and maybe on-field production in year three, which would be huge for Atlanta. Uh, Zach Harrison, in his rookie year, played 16 games, 33 tackles, four tackles for a loss, three sacks, 13 pressures, zero forced fumbles. He had a 63 PFF grade. He is maybe one of my favorite players from this past season. Uh, Throughout the year, you know, when he came into Atlanta and during training camp, I didn't know too, too much about him. I was a little skeptical, honestly, just anytime you see a five-star player coming out of a big program like Ohio State and the pass rushers they've put out, my initial reaction is maybe to be a little skeptical. All right, what's wrong? Why didn't it go well? Why are you not getting drafted third overall? And you kind of saw some stiffness from him. He moves really well in a straight line. He's leggy. He's long. He's got all of the, you know, coming off the bus, he's exactly what you want. But then seeing his work ethic, seeing how Ryan Nielsen really was taking him under his wing, Calais Campbell, same thing. You really saw the progression and the growth of Zach Harrison throughout the year, really culminating through the second half of the season. And so as he finished with 33 tackles, four tackles for a loss, three sacks, 13 pressures, zero force fumbles, and a 63 PFF grade, I feel as though the obviously brighter days are coming for Zach Harrison. You know, this was just his first year. And that little tail end of the season, when he got all of those sacks, they kind of came in some big areas. They came via big plays. And it just does show that, all right, maybe maybe this first year and being around a player like Calais Campbell and being around a coach like Ryan Nielsen does unlock something for you as a player that then you really can tap into in year two and year three as you get a little bit of rest this offseason for the first time, as now you're going through things for the second time and not the first time, these little incremental gains that were made in year one hopefully can really stack up into a very nice piece in year two, year three, year four when you have your bearings set a little bit more. And now you can just focus on working on all of those things that you learned in year one when everything was kind of coming at you hot and heavy. That is my hope for Zach Harrison. I'm a little bit curious to see in this defense, where is the fit? Does he bump inside and play one of those bigger end roles? Is he a stand-up guy on the outside? Does he have that kind of juice off the edge? Because I mentioned some of his, my hesitation with like his lateral movement skills. Um, I'm a little bit curious to, again, see how that fits in a little bit more of an off-ball, in-space type of stand-up edge guy. I don't know. Maybe that's not why he was drafted to be here. And ultimately, this will be one of those situations where you like the player, just not a match for the scheme. And that's going to be a tough, a tough thing to square. So Zach Harrison is maybe my biggest question mark, not because of the player, because year one kind of sold me on the player. But now the fit. I just want to see how it all works together. Finally, D'Angelo Malone, three games, six tackles, one pressure, 61.2 PFF grade. I don't know if it's ever going to come together for D'Angelo Malone. He seems like a little bit of a, a lost man in all of this rotation, which is unfortunate. He's still very young. Who knows? New coaching staff, new scheme. Maybe things will change. Just didn't see a ton from D'Angelo Malone uh, so far. So 
Harrison, I mentioned, he ranked ninth among all of the rookies in pass, pro- pass rush productivity, 4.6. Uh, and pass rush productivity is a stat by PFF, which measures pressures created on a per snap basis, weighted towards sacks. So because Zach Harrison only had three sacks, could slip down the list there a little bit. But when you're talking about you know rookie pass rushers, for a third round pick, like being ninth, that's obviously not like where you'd want it to be. But it is still a sign of maybe there's something to work with here uh, for a young player that you got on day two and you could develop. The other stat here that I wanted to mention was Arnold Evicady ranked 10th among all qualified edge players in pass rush productivity with a 10.1. So again, just two stats there. Harrison's not like mind blowing there, but Arnold Ebicady being 10th among all players, among all qualified edge rushers, that's awesome. Like that is, again, a sign that maybe with increased reps, with increased playtime, you could get a little bit more out of a player that I think a lot of people would like to see a little bit more from. So the guys under contract for the 2024 season mentioned Zach Harrison. He's going to be in the second year of his rookie contract. He's got a $1.2 million cap hit. Lorenzo Carter, 29 years old. Second year of a two-year deal. So final year, he's got a $4.75 million cap hit. You could save just under $4 million by cutting Lorenzo Carter this offseason. He'd save you about $3.75 million. But again, I I think that he fits in this scheme still as that stand-up edge um, in kind of a 3-4 look. So I don't know if the Falcons, as they look at who could they save, who, you know, like a player like Taylor Heineke, I almost consider him already off the roster just because I think that the the savings there are awesome for what you could get. And you don't need a player like Taylor Heineke around necessarily. Lorenzo Carter, I think you could keep around. So even though you could save, you know, again, about $4 million there, I'd almost rather have the guy because you got to have numbers somewhere and you've got to have depth and you've got to have all of that. So that's an interesting one. But just mentioning it here. Arnold Ebicady going to be 25 years old, third year of his rookie deal. He's got a $2.4 million cap hit. Um, not, not big, not a huge number by any means, but you would like to see his production continue to increase. D'Angelo Malone will also be 25. He's in the third year of his rookie deal, $1.4 million cap hit. As I mentioned, kind of trending in the opposite direction of Arnold Ebicady. Ade Ogundeji, who missed a lot of the year after going on IR, he will be in the fourth and final year of his rookie deal as a 26-year-old. $1.1 million cap hit. I almost could see the Falcons kind of beefing him up a little bit and sliding him down onto that interior defensive line group just because of what I think his strengths are. But he's another one that'll be really interesting to watch. Um, Damon Harris, 28 years old. He signed a reserve future contract. And then Ikena Achukwu, who is 24 years old. He's in the second year of a three-year deal. And he will count 805 thousand dollars against the cap next year so i mentioned lorenzo carter is kind of the only cap casualty or potential cap casualty for the falcons that's true there's not really anybody else who you would save money on um, by releasing so it's just kind of lorenzo carter that we're looking at here the free agents uh who are the guys who are set to hit free agency clays campbell bud dupree um obviously two big contributors from last season Obviously, both a little bit longer in the tooth. I mean, Bud Dupree's only 31 years old, so he's not certainly like at the end of his career by any means. Um, but Clayus Campbell, 37, who knows what the future holds for him. So they have seven players under contract, $12.7 million invested 
at the edge position already. The way that Spotrack uh, kind of breaks down these numbers, it was difficult to uh, ascertain exactly where they ranked uh, edge versus interior because every team kind of categorizes them differently, but they are on the lower end of the spectrum. So they certainly could put a little bit more money in that area, but you saw the one-year contracts. Those are now off the books with guys like Calais Campbell, Bud Dupree, that drops them down the list a little bit. So some of the free agents or draft picks to keep an eye on this offseason in this area for Atlanta. And there's a few free agents that I like because, again, Terry Fondo has said they want to address the NFL holes with NFL talent. And that is where I think if you're looking at adding somebody who is going to immediately impact and elevate your group, or if you're looking for one specific thing, they could look at the NFL free agency or trade landscape to address that. So Jonathan Greenard out of Houston had an awesome year. Scheme would be a little bit interesting because he's kind of coming from more of a 4-3 attack to maybe a 3-4, who knows. Um, but he had a great year. Zadarius Smith out of Cleveland, uh, also another strong candidate. Um, I'm curious to see what the market looks like for Zadarius Smith, but he comes from a similar mold uh, to this defense. And then these two guys, I think, could certainly be in play as more of your mid-range free agent um, acquisitions. Le- Leonard Floyd, who you guys are all probably very well aware uh, of who Leonard Floyd is at this point. I'm sure some of you guys, just me saying his name, you're like, no, thank you. I don't want Leonard Floyd. However, like I said, it's about adding some of those two, three pieces. If you're really going to make playoff pushes, things like that, you've got to have the depth all the way around the roster. And I think he fits in kind of that Lorenzo Carter role a little bit. And then Andrew Van Ginkle, out of Miami there with Vic Fangio himself and had an awesome year this past year. Again, I I don't know how the Falcons specifically feel about these guys. As I'm just looking at the landscape, what fits scheme wise production? What is the value? Because we know the Falcons have not gone big game hunting outside of, you know, Jesse Bates, but they have really looked at these guys whose best days could be ahead of them, or maybe the market is undervaluing a little bit. And that is where I think Andrew Van Ginkle or Leonard Floyd could be nice acquisitions for this team. Uh, if we're turning our attention to the draft, obviously the big name guys kind of at number eight that you're looking at, right? Dallas Turner, Leatu Latu, Jared Verse. Those guys are awesome. A couple more, maybe day two guys, second round, Darius Robinson, Braylon Trice, those could be options as well. I do think that Edge could be a primary target for the Falcons at eight, depending on what happens at quarterback. They could trade back and still get a piece there. I do think day two is a nice spot for them to get a specific guy that they're looking for as well coming off of the edge. This scheme, it's going to be really interesting because it's always a a pairing of what you want the scheme to ultimately be able to do but the guys that you have on hand. And as the Falcons were transitioning a little bit more to that 4-3 under Ryan Nielsen, you're kind of caught in this weird little wash where you had the guys who were 3-4 under Dean Pease. Then you had one year of kind of transitioning to a little bit of a different look. Now you're almost flipping back. So who knows what they value, what the skill sets are of the guys in place currently. Um, That is all going to certainly be a factor in this conversation. But I do think no matter what, they're going to add a little bit more juice to the edge rushing group. And that is where I think the draft may hold higher uh, yields from that, certainly for the long term, because you're getting a longer guy. However, free agency, you almost know exactly what you're going to get. And if they do feel like, hey, we're making a push this year, 
you could certainly see them going and just getting a proven dude off the edge where you know you're almost going to get 10 sacks, 12 sacks a year from that guy. I don't know if the very, very top group guys, Danell Hunter, Brian Burns, um, Josh Allen, Burns and Allen seem like great candidates to get that franchise tag. Danell Hunter, what is his market going to be if he does hit as the maybe main guy who is available? But the Falcons could easily be in the mix for any of those dudes if that is what they choose to prioritize. So that is ultimately why I have the priority level for the edge position as a high priority for Atlanta. Not because I think they're going to maybe add like five guys this offseason to that group. They're pretty well set. It's more about maybe adding one superstar and one more very good role player. Uh, that could be all it takes. But if anytime you're talking about adding that number one guy to any position, it's got to be a priority because you need to make sure that as you're investing all of that capital, that guy is going to hit like Jesse Bates did, like Chris Lindstrom has, those players. So that is kind of what I expect them to do on the edge position. Go find that guy. Zero in on it, whether that be the draft or free agency, but I do expect them to add to a group that did take a nice little step forward, but it is going to lose Calais Campbell and Bud Dupree if they cannot make the right moves to uh, to re-sign them. So that is what I've got for you guys at the edge defender uh, spot for Atlanta. We will continue this rolling with linebackers coming up next, so stay tuned for that. But You guys can Check this channel out on YouTube. It is Believe in Falcons. You can follow me on Twitter at Will McFadden. Ask me any Falcons-related questions there. Follow for just, you know, my general thoughts. I'm not covering the news day-to-day like I was back in the day, so I'm not going to be blowing up your feeds. I don't tweet all too much, but if I have a thought on the Falcons, I'm going to be sharing it, and that is where I will do so. So be sure to follow me there. Today's episode, as always, was presented by Battle Mine. We will see you guys next time for the linebacker position. But until then, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.